You're listening to episode number 21 of Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. Today, our special guests are Dr. Susan McBride from the Texas Tech University Health Science Center School of Nursing and Dr. Mary Teets from the Texas Women's University College of Nursing. The focus of our conversation with these two informatics scholars centers on their research on nurses' experience with meaningful use-based electronic health records in the state of Texas. We'll also explore the implications regarding the technology platform and practice platform polarity. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We're so grateful you've joined us today. I'm Tracy. And I'm Michelle. We've been interprofessional partners in healthcare for over 30 years. During that time, we've been engaged in healthcare transformation and the development of healthy healing work cultures that result in the best places to give and receive care. We've engaged with healthcare leaders from across North America, and we are tired of seeing time, money, and resources wasted on change efforts that are not sustainable. In this podcast, we explore significant, reoccurring, and competing challenges faced by all healthcare leaders today using a brand new lens called polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare. You could say we represent the money ball of healthcare. We're here to expand your current thinking and challenge your reliance on problem-solving tactics. Hi, everyone. It's Michelle. And Tracy. We are back together again on the airwaves. Oh, yeah. What a day. <laughs> it is. It has been quite a day. We are so excited about our podcast today, but we're excited for another reason. Oh, yeah. We're going to the John Mayer concert tonight. Woohoo! <laughs> yes. Tracy's boyfriend. That's right. <laughs> hubba, hubba. <laughs> so it was... It was, uh, you know, one of those things where we were concentrating on the podcast, and we knew we were going to be flying out the door to Detroit as soon as it was done. Yeah, yeah, can't wait. So this is really a great podcast that we are going to be playing today, and it is because we are interviewing two awesome colleagues that have a great partnership, just like us. Yeah, they're a, a little yang and a little yin, you know, kind of like us, the walking polarity, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> opposites. <laughs> But not. <laughs> <laughs> they really are a joy to be with. Today we're talking with Susan McBride and Mary Teets, and they're two nurse informatics specialists and scholars, have so much respect for them, and they share some common passions with us, right, Tracy? Yeah. On health information technology and interprofessional collaboration. You bet. You bet. And they're going to talk, actually, about their landmark statewide study that they did. Um, and it assessed the experience of nurses with the electronic health record. I, it, it was really fascinating, right? Yes. They did some awesome work. Yep. It's, it really is a landmark study in their approach. It was with the entire state of Texas. So yeah. we know how big Texas is. Oh, yeah. And their findings were big, too. And their research actually helped to validate the existence of the polarity um, between the technology platform and the practice platform. And it is an and and both. So... There you go. Now well, you have it. Now you have it. For any of you non-believers out there, now we know nobody in our audience is a non-believer, right, that this polarity would exist. That's right. Yeah. But, well, let's talk about who they are. Let's share a little bit more about who they are, Michelle. Sure. So I'm going to introduce Susan McBride. She is a nursing informaticist within the Texas Tech University Health Science Center, whose research focuses on the methods development for implementing, evaluating, and utilizing health information technology to improve patient safety, quality, and population health. Dr. McBride is a professor with teaching responsibilities in statistics. Ooh. Wow. Wow. My in son teaches statistics, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> statistics, informatics, and epidemiology. 
She is the program director for the School of Nursing Graduate Informatics Program. Susan sits on multiple technical advisory committees at state and national levels, as well as consults on various aspects of health information technology and use of data for healthcare improvement. Dr. McBride is the 2019 Chair of the Academy of Nursing Informatics and Technology Expert Panel, and I'm also a member of that panel, and she's done a phenomenal job leading that this year. She is the lead author of the award-winning textbook, Nursing Informatics for the Advanced Practice Nurse, Patient Safety, Quality Outcomes, and Interprofessionalism. Wow. I'm impressed. I am, too. I always have been. Now I'm going to introduce everybody to Dr. Mary Teets. Dr. Teets is a professor at the Texas Women's University College of Nursing. She teaches informatics courses focused on interprofessional collaborative practice. Woman after my own heart, I'm telling you. (laughs) I know. She is the director of graduate certificate and interprofessional informatics program. In January of 2016, Dr. Teets was awarded the Doswell Endowed Chair for Nursing Informatics, and it was aimed at advancing nursing informatics at Texas Women's University. Since 2010, Dr. Teets has been the co-chair of the Texas Nurses Association and Texas Organization of Nurse Executives Health Information Technology Committee to represent nurses' experiences related to information technology use in their practice and patient care delivery. She's the past director of nursing informatics for the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council Foundation and ANCC certified in informatics nursing. Yes, and you want to know a secret? There's a secret? There is. Well, it won't be a secret for long. Not now. (laughs) Mary is being inducted as a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing um, next month due to everything you just read, and she's doing phenomenal work. So, what a privilege, right? Yes, yeah. So, you know, we really admire these two women, and one of the things we admire is they're all about taking action, right? We like action. I like action. Yeah, when you find something out, Move it forward. That's right. right. And they've been using the polarity thinking model to do that. So we're really just thrilled to have them with us today. We had a great conversation. We know you're going to learn a lot from them as well. And you'll really enjoy this kind of interactive, fun interview that we had with them. So without further ado, here's Mary and Susan. Well, welcome, Susan and Mary. We are so excited to have you with us today. Glad to be here. We're excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I can't wait to see what unfolds during this conversation. And, you know, um, one of the things that, uh, you know, we like to start with just a little conversation, a little get to know you stuff, right? And Michelle, uh, she said to me, oh, Tracy, I just can't wait for you to meet Susan and Mary because they're so much like us. (laughs) They have such a great relationship. They're great partners. You know, they've known each other for a long time. They do really important work and they have fun. And, uh, and so I thought it might just be really great to check in a little bit with you about, you know, just give us a little sense of, you know, what makes your partnership tick? Like, you know, what are some fun facts about how you work together or how you leverage each other's strengths? I think that might be fun to know. Well, we certainly balance each other. I like to, I like to say that Mary and I are the yin and the yang, with Mary more of the yin and me more of the yang. <laughs> so we, uh, we're good partners. We're a good team. And we balance each other out in terms of our contribution to our team efforts. And uh, we've just really gotten to be like sisters over the years as well. We can be straight with each other and communicate with integrity and Mm -hmm. say what's so. And Mary, I don't like that. Or, Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, and we're okay with that. And I think that really makes us uh, excellent partners uh, in all we do. And I love working with Mary. Uh, just a little bit of detail um, from my perspective, this is Mary, and basically I'm very linear. I am very methodical. I, for example, in our book, I tend to manage the references. I want them to be just so, you know, that kind of thing. Susan is the conceptual, the idea generator, the the machine <laughs> of, of getting things uh, going where we need it to go. So that way we are very much uh, helpful to each other. I've come become a little bit more like her over the years. And I think she may be a little bit more like me, but not a whole lot. It's <laughs> kind of like in a marriage, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. I, she has instilled in me the organizational project management skills where sometimes these days I'm stopping her and saying, no, Mary, we've got to do it this way. And uh, that used yeah. to be Mary doing and that. And I'm like, good girl. Great. <laughs> All right. Okay, Tracy, do you see why I said that to you? I do. <laughs> it's like listening to our own story. I know. I know. it. And the truth is, there's a little bit of yin and yang in each of you, but I do see how you complement each other and your strengths and how you do keep each other balanced. And that's very much our story. I mean, very much our story. <laughs> mm -hmm. So anyway, we're so excited that this day has finally arrived. And um, I just want to share with the audience how I met these two awesome women and leaders. So I first met Susan when we were put together in a group to work on the Tiger Leadership Imperative Report. And uh, we just really bonded. And what we recognized is we kind of think alike. <laughs> so we did. We'll talk more about that report a little bit later. And then um, a couple years later, I met Mary when she became a member of the Tiger board. And also I had heard them both present on their phenomenal work in the state of Texas. So I what I recognized is the passion for the work that they're doing and also how they are very much excellent partners and how they work together as a team. And that's why I thought they're very much aligned with some of the polarities that we deal with every day in healthcare, and they would be perfect podcast guests. So oh, yeah. again, welcome. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I've yet to spend some time physically with Susan, but I did get to meet Mary at the Polarity Institute at Grand Valley State University in June. And, uh, and actually, during that three day event, we actually did some mapping and walking the map, the Polarity map for the practice platform and the technology platform. And um, I'm just curious, Mary, like, how did that inform you? Like, what was that experience like for you? To me, having been in the domain of interprofessional practice for as long as I have been, I, I knew that that had a valuable component of helping with the technology practice um, domain that we work in every day, Susan and myself. But I never had the tools, I felt, to actually take it from understanding what interprofessional practice is, where I'm, I'm interacting with many different um, professionals at a time, to actually seeing the day, the three days that I spent with you all on, at the Institute, to having something I could take home and actually work with. I actually mapped one of our, our key initiatives that I was working on with um, the Nursing Informatics Association, the D Dallas Fort Worth area, and it worked out so well. And I just felt really enthused about having a tool 
that would take me to the, the mapping of operationalization. And so that's what I think it meant to me. And of course, everybody in the room was having the same experience. So it really strengthened it, strengthened it even more to get the different sides. We had administrators, we had practice, we had uh, 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 more of the business side there, which is my, my day, every day. That's what I deal with. And so it worked perfectly well. And so we're excited about uh, diving in more with you guys on the polarity thinking approach. Wonderful. That's awesome. And we we love the ahas that the mapping experience brings to diverse stakeholders as well. So we're glad that you already applied it. That's awesome, Mary. Yeah, we, we say it's not enough to know, right? You have to apply. That's mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. right. So Susan and Mary, I was so impressed when I heard you give a presentation about your um, statewide research that you did assessing nurses' experience with meaningful use-based EHR. I still remember where I was sitting in a conference room just being blown away by that study and how you two just took the opportunity and rolled with it. And um, there was great lessons in the study. And then also, um, also working with you, Susan, on the leadership imperative report and how we identified some of the similar characteristics in your study. And we identified that there was a polarity here of technology and practice. And we were able to put that into the leadership report, which we'll attach to the show notes. And um, so there's just so much wisdom here that we need to pull out of that statewide study and the tiger work. And I thought we would start out today just by doing some exploration for our audience of how your work came about. Tell us a little bit about TNA and TONE Tiger Partnership and even what that is and, you know, what the findings of that report have shown you and what we all need to learn from it. I'd like to, this is Mary, and I'd like to start on this. And that is really, we're, we're like, old nurse informaticists. We were around when people didn't even know what nurse informatics was. I implemented my first bedside computer system in 1988. Okay. So what that, what that has led me to understand is that, and what I knew then is it's not really about the technology. It's about the patient safety and the patient quality. And that's why you're a nurse informaticist. Okay. So with that context in mind, when I uh, actually moved to Texas, the first thing I did was I called the Texas Nurses Association. I said, hey, I'm here. I'm a nurse informaticist. I want to get on your nursing informatics committee. And uh, Claire Jordan at the time said, we ain't got one. You know, and not, th- not that way. But I was like, oh, OK, let me write up for you the reasons why you should have one. <laughs> And so I started dialoguing with Claire at that point. And as the uh, ONC committee as in 2010, whenever the um, o- uh, Office of National Coordinator was implementing and it was uh, the um, a- High Tech Act was pushing the electronic health records to be inst- installed. That's when Claire came back to me and said, we need to know where what's going to happen to nursing when this happens, when they start pushing in the EHRs and if nursing is going to be at the table and what the, it's going to impact on practice and so forth. So that's how the committee started to form. And of course, we pulled together Susan McBride and some of the other key nurse informaticists at the time to be part of our committee. The other thing is we realized is that we needed to, and this was Claire Jordan's, I think, insight, 
that the Texas Organization of Nurse Executives was a key component. We couldn't do it with just practice. We had to also do it with ed, um, administration, which actually had our dotted line to the American Hospital Association, uh, to the Texas Hospital Association, which was another kind of big stakeholder. So with that, we had the perfect storm in terms of what was happening in the state of Texas and in the nation in terms of the electronic health record. And now we've got the people together to actually uh, start the dialogue. And then our initiatives came into place. One of them is our survey. We had to, she wanted us to, Claire wanted us to benchmark where we are now so that we can over time measure what's happening, good or bad, to nursing practice. And that's when I think Susan would like, maybe would be good to take on what, what the details of the study was. Yeah, the, um, just a little bit more on the um, TNA Tone Health IT Committee that has been so pivotal in Texas since the High Tech Act. Um, we wanted to get in front of that wave in terms of technology on behalf of, of Texas nurses to really identify what's our baseline data and everything that we wanted to do in terms of advising on behalf of Texas nurses needed to be evidence-based, grounded in evidence. And so not only our work to try to improve nurse satisfaction with electronic health records, but also policy recommendations. And this uh, study that we'll be sharing with you, which we um, did in 2015, um, is just very important to the work in Texas in terms of doing that. We have been able to implement uh, several improvement strategies based on the findings, which we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, but we also have been able to make some policy recommendations, not only within Texas, but at the national level. And so um, uh, specifically what we did in our study was we recognized the uptake of health information technology was so rapidly occurring uh, that we realized we needed to be able to control for the maturity of the electronic health record within the institutions or organizations that these nurses are working. And we also looked at a number of instruments out there uh, that measured satisfaction and ended up using Dr. Brian Gugardy's uh, clinical uh, information satisfaction uh, survey that worked very effectively for us in term, we, we, um, the acronym is the SISIs. And at the time we used the 1.0, there's actually a new instrument out now that is 2.0, but we found uh, the, the earliest version of Brian Gugarty's uh, survey to be very effective. So along with that SISIs that gives you a satisfaction score, we were able to also control for the maturity of the electronic health record with a meaningful use maturity sensitivity in index, which we call the MUMSI. And we did a lot of instrumentation design. We went through several rounds of Delphi with a lot of our subject matter experts across the nation and um, had them look at, all right, these are the meaningful use metrics that are in place under stage one meaningful use. We want to phrase this so that a nurse would understand what each one of these metrics are and what are the implications to that nurse's practice. So that is essentially what the MUMSI uh, index does. There are uh, So it aligns with stage one meaningful use around the 24 metrics, but put in the context of the nurse's day-to-day -day life and how they would experience that technology. So we have the MUMSI score. We have this, the SISI score. And I want to stop a little bit and talk about that SISI's instrument that is so powerful from, a, from an improvement science standpoint, quality improvement science. 
because Brian um, did uh, some instrumentation design that allows you to take that score and get ends of a spectrum. So you've got who are the nurses that are satisfied, yes or no, and the other end of your score is who is not very dissatisfied, and then you've got a neutral zone. Well, what we were after in Texas was we want to take those folks that are satisfied and figure out who are they, what are their characteristics, what are the characteristics of their institutions, learn from those characteristics, how to take those ones that are clearly dissatisfied and move them into that um, other end of the spectrum. So our study was very effective in identifying those cohorts, but also looking at, you know, what are the odds that I'll be satisfied if certain characteristics of the EHR are in place that might align with our meaningful use stage one metrics. So let me give you a, an example of that that has been very powerful for us. One of the things that we demonstrated in our study is that um, clinical dis decision support, there were three different uh, measures in our MUMSI that looked at uh, drug, uh, drug alerts, drug allergy alerts, and then the third was, did you follow evidence-based protocol where you're triggered to do the right thing at the right time for the right patient? Well, our study demonstrated that nurses are um, significantly higher odds of being dissatisfied if the uh, drug, drug, and drug allergy alerts are present. Uh, counter to that, we saw, we demonstrated that clinical decision support that triggers the protocol to do the right thing at the right time for the right patient, that type of CDS, the nurse is significantly more likely to be satisfied if that's present. And so that allowed us later on down the road when I had the opportunity to help inform the opioid measures, um, we were able to use some of that evidence to say, they were trying to figure out where should the opioid measurement occur with our electronic clinical quality measures. Well, we were able to advise that expert panel and the contractors who are developing that measure set to say that our evidence has suggested that clinicians are more likely to be satisfied if those measures are going to show up in an evidence-based protocol and trigger clinical decision support to do the right thing at the right time for the right patient regarding opioid prescriptions or pain management. Whereas if you do it in the ordering process where you get a trigger on drug, drug, or drug allergy alerts, we have demonstrated in other studies that um, we're, we're tired of those kinds of alerts. We're blowing through those alerts. Uh, we've got alert fatigue around that kind of thing. So, uh, And we demonstrated that clinicians aren't satisfied with that kind of an alert. So if you can push it over to the protocol, we're better off doing that kind of a CDS. So that was one um, clear area uh, that I think our study has been very effective. The other thing that we've done from our study is to begin to develop a toolkit for Texas. And so we'll be talking a little bit uh, later, I believe, about some of the pieces of that toolkit uh, but our goal with the toolkit is to actually take the evidence and inform how can we improve Texas nurses' use of the electronic health record and, the, and as a result, the satisfaction of the electronic health record. So uh, Mary and I can share more details about that mm -hmm. toolkit, but we'll also be doing a 2019 study where we will be seeing whether or not we've moved the needle on satisfaction for Texas nurses um, with our 2019 study. Our initial one was 20, basically 2016 is when we 
that yeah. when the data was reported. Yeah. So we're three years out. Yes. And we just a little bit of the detail. We had 1174 nurses respond and over 350 gave us textual information uh, to a question that we asked, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about your electronic <laughs> health record? And we definitely got an earful and uh, we'll talk a little more about that as well. Before we get off the subject, I'd like to also give a, a call out to uh, the leadership beyond uh, Claire Jordan was particularly Cindy Zolnierik, who is the president of TNA been extremely supportive all these years and all the different angles we wanted to uh, focus on. And also Ellen Martin, who's um, over practice, the director over practice of um, nurse at the TNA. Those two have really been behind us all, all along and I appreciate them for that. Yes. Yeah, so another really important finding, uh, particularly for Texas, we have significant areas of Texas that are rural communities and our uh, community critical access hospitals, small community hospitals. What we demonstrated is that those organizations are um, very dissatisfied with their electronic health records and the implementation of those health records in uh, rural providers as well as hospitals. And so we knew, uh, we suspected uh, just due to anecdotal evidence that uh, particularly with our regional extension center work that we did across the nation, uh, helping some of those hospitals in rural communities implement electronic health, health records under the High Tech Act, we knew that those implementations um, didn't always go as smoothly as we would have liked, just sheer resource but we didn't have the data and the evidence um, to really measure uh, satisfaction compared to dissatisfaction with electronic health records. We have it now in Texas and rural uh, nurses are clearly not satisfied, significantly um, uh, less satisfied than their urban counterparts. So we uh, you know, are doing some things in Texas uh, to help with that. Uh, one example of that that I'll share is that We've taken some of our nursing informatics master students out um, and we've taken teams of NI students out to help them map workflows and look at ways to optimize that technology. So that's one example of action we've taken to try to address the rural challenges, because clearly we know that um, resource is an issue for those uh, those providers and, and nurses. So that's one finding. The other important finding that I'll note is that we do have the names of the electronic health record vendors, and um, what we we did we always kept that confidential because we considered uh, those vendors to be our partners. And what we'd like to be able to do with that is help the vendors improve their usability and their designs so that nurses would be better satisfied. So we did not use uh, any of our data as a baseball bat, but important key findings were that when we control for meaningful use maturity of the electronic health record, any significant differences that we showed with just our um, univariate kind of analyses around uh, vendors, differences, and satisfaction, when we control for meaningful use maturity, all of those differences went away. And so that was critical because what we recognized is if we can get all institutions to um, maturity of the electronic health record where the nurse was experiencing it at stage one meaningful use metrics, fully experiencing it, we're more likely to have satisfied nurses. That was huge in terms of positive findings. So um, 
those I think were some of the key findings um, that I'd like to share right now at this stage. And we'll be sharing more later as the conversation moves on. Oh, thank you so much. It has to be so rewarding to do a study like this and then have so many ripple effects. You know, I mean, you've impacted policy, you're implementing changes, you're communicating communicating back to vendors on design. So that's really exciting. And I'm super excited that you're going to be repeating the study as well, um, because we need to continue to learn about this, right? I, all I keep thinking about is Texas is a Petri dish for our country. <laughs> Well, I will. We Mary later on today. Mary and I actually have a conference call with uh, another state and their uh, chief executive and their incoming president uh, to discuss the possibility of bringing in a benchmark state. So um, we have other have had several other states that have uh, engaged in dialogue about wanting to replicate what we're doing, and we're happy to uh, support those states in. Um, in doing so. And so we we have a lot of the infrastructure in place to replicate this across other states and are more than willing to share it. In fact, uh, that will be one of our conversations later today. Uh, and, and this is probably the most mature conversation we've had yet with the state at very high levels to say, how could we actually execute and pull in a note yet one more state who is doing this? So we're hoping that that comes to fruition and we're able to um, to do that at least for one other state. Oh, that's fantastic. That's very exciting. Yeah. So I want to I want to take you back to another really important um, finding in your study, Susan. I'll never forget the day when you called me and said, would you mind um, consulting with us on the qualitative data, which you referred to earlier that came out of that question? What else do you want to tell me? Um, and there was some interesting um, findings that came out of that that really... Um, really brought to light that nurses were experiencing moral distress as it relates to the electronic health record as well. And so can you share a little bit about how that came to light and then um, different action steps or activities that are happening around that as well? Yes, and I we we discussed the fact that uh, 1,174 nurses across Texas, um, and and we did look at at how representative that sample was of Texas nurses, and in fact, it was very representative with a approximately 20% rule and and 80% um, urban. Uh, so, but uh, what your Michelle's pointing to is our textual comments that we uh, received from nurses that were just so incredibly powerful. And we had 350 of those nurses give us just rich dialogue and text about what they were experiencing with their electronic health records. And I'll say again, you know, a lot of times um, when they quote our, our study out there in the literature, and we have published in CIN our findings, um, and uh, when we are quoted, they often reflect on our negative uh, of negative findings. And yet we had a lot of positive findings as well. The text comments did have both positive, negative, and in some cases, uh, both in, in the response of the nurse. But I always like to give voice to one particular nurse that I think um, kind of amplifies some of the distress that we heard. Uh, and we had... Uh, Two qualitative researchers really uh, examined the themes, and then uh, Dr. Teets and myself. So there were four of us. We spent enormous amount of man hours in in these textual comments. But let me give the listeners just um, an example of one of those comments that is just really powerful. 
Yes, the documentation of quality standards has greatly improved, but patient care and patient safety has not. In fact, nurses have to enter false information sometimes and work around the system. I have used vendors X, Y, and Z, and yes, this nurse did name those vendors, and they would be common vendors that we all know the names of, and all have similar issues. I know firsthand of two Sentinel events caused by systems X and Y. Also, systems audits are being used to evaluate and discipline nurses. This is a big ethical issue as nurses are charting stuff for the wrong reasons, creating a conflict of interest. So, and there are many more statements very similar to that one, but I think it's one of the most powerful because it has uh, many of those themes that we saw that had to do with usability, you know, regulatory barriers, um, uh, some of the challenges with ethical issues. But, but you can hear in that nurse's speaking a tone of distress. So when dissatisfaction was present in the speaking of these nurses in those textual comments, there was a tone of distress that our qualitative researcher, who is also a bioethicist, said, this is a tone of moral distress here. These nurses are in moral distress. And we then really responded in a little bit of moral distress, I think, <laughs> as a committee, because we were very concerned, you know, initially uh, coming out and reporting that evidence, frankly. Um, but I want to just stop and say, not only was that present, we had a lot of positive findings, too. There were a lot of satisfied nurses in the state that if you look at the distribution of satisfaction across the state, we had nurses that were satisfied also. So, um, but I think that that was, that was very concerning to us. And one of the things that we have dug into more deeply in terms of what are we going to do about this? This is not okay. This is a moral imperative for us to actually address this issue of distress that our nurses are experiencing with electronic health records. And that was in 2016. Since then, there's a, a big movement, especially uh, with the uh, CMS and the physicians. Uh, the, uh, the physicians are documenting it more. Uh, other at uh, the um, Cures Act came, kind of focused on it a little bit more in terms of how are we going to address documentation burden and so forth. So I think 2016 is when we started seeing it, but it's really evolved uh, in 2019 where we are now. Significant dialogue at national levels now around burden of documentation. Um, we have now added a fourth aim to the triple aim to address burden of documentation. And, you know, with the whole thought that we're not going to be able to address the, the triple aim if we don't take care of our clinicians and our clinical teams. And this is not just about uh, providers. This is about the entire interprofessional team. And Mary and I are so committed to that message, uh, whether it be at Capitol Hill or uh, at our Capitol in Texas or wherever. Uh, it's not just nurses. It's not just physicians. It's not just the providers out there. It is the entire team that is impacted both positively and negatively with technology implementation. Can I right. just say that generally speaking, Nobody really wants to go back to the manual system, okay? It's hard to find somebody who, who in fact, by the, whenever the systems go down, it's like, oh, my gosh, I never, I don't know how to chart anymore, you know, that type of thing. So we're, we're the trains left the station, okay? We've got these EHRs we're going to be using for documenting digitally in our country. So we're, we're on the bandwagon to get it workable. Well, I really appreciate you bringing forth um, 
Susan, that there are people that are satisfied. And, and I just, I want to, you know, because we spend a lot of time, and especially right now, the voice is so clear and so strong that, you know, because of the moral distress, because of the challenges people are facing. But there are people who are satisfied that are having good experiences in the mix of these that are not. So I think that's just important to know because uh, we, you know, we tend to focus on the things that are, you know, need resolution or are our biggest, brightest challenges, right? They're kind of in your face. So I, I really appreciate you bringing that forward. And I think too, the other thing um, is that, you know, and, and Mary, you mentioned, right, that we're not going back to the manual, but I think what was really eye-opener for me is when we were at the Plarity Institute working on the technology and practice map, that there were actually people in the room that haven't made the leap to technology yet, that we forget there are still people using manual processes, right? And so I think, again, just another thing to keep in mind, we tend to think, you know, because of this push that everybody's on it, (laughs) but there are still places that are not really fully using the technology at this point yet. So, And I think the other thing that your story demonstrates so well, when you think about how long we've been engaged and we've been talking about these issues, it just really demonstrates it's a polarity. It's not a problem to fix. So we really do have to look at it through a new lens. And um, really excited to share with our listeners that um, there is a group of, you know, of of leaders from informatics, quality ethics that are going to be looking at not fixing this, but writing a manuscript. Uh, and Susan McBride is one of the authors as well on the technology platform and the practice platform. And really it's a call for us to make a course correction. And so we're starting to bring that message out there. And I think your study and um, some of the Examples you gave were really helpful to point that out and to help other people realize too. Like when we shared with them, this is really a polarity. It doesn't take people long to recognize that's right. And if we just go after one aspect of this, we're still going to be talking about it 10 years from now. Right, right. And I I think another thing right on the horizon is your new book. Yes. And, um, and, you know, we are just so thankful to have the invitation to actually write a chapter on polarity thinking and how that relates to the practice and technology platform and other polarities that really exist also within uh, the technology realm. And, um, and so why don't you just tell us a little bit about your new book that's coming out, The Health Informatics for the Interprofessional Team, Enhancing Patient Safety, Quality, and Outcomes. Yes. Well, so um, we had our original uh, text, Nursing Informatics for the Advanced Practice Nurse, um, with a focus on patient safety, quality outcomes, and interprofessionalism, which was received really well. Our first edition, we were uh, really happy to receive the AJN 2016 Book of the Year Award for our first edition. Uh, Subsequently, we updated that in a second edition. And uh, about the time we started working on that second edition, uh, Springer asked us about whether or not we would consider an interprofessional version of the textbook. And so, um, you know, Mary and I started talking about this uh, a few years back and how we would conceptualize an approach that might uh, shift our nursing education um, for, uh, for healthcare informatics 
model that we had in our first and, and second edition and really put it in the context of interprofessional teams, which we think is so critical. So, Mary, you want to talk about our new book? You'll yes, be taking the lead yeah, on. I am excited. I'm like the interprofessional education queen. I've been uh, living and breathing that. That's what our program is at uh, TWU. That's very unique in that we uh, have all of the disciplines that ha- are, can come to any of the courses on informatics. Uh, I will say that this book has really taken it a step further from what our, our previous book did. Uh, it, it does have the the nuts and bolts, if you will, of, of informatics and the things that make the thing run correctly for patient safety and quality. But again, we still have our three uh, we have a Venn diagram of our, our framework at the top of the circle. And we've been teaching this way for years and years is point of care technology. We have technology now as a and as an interface to to the patient. Let's just face it. OK, uh, that is uh, not going to go away. As we said, there's two other circles under, uh, kind of connecting those two underneath that has to do with uh, on top of that has to do with the data management. You've got to have, the reason you have electronic health records, digital, is so that you can measure and you can evaluate and use evidence-based practice to improve care delivery. That is why you do that. So you have that. And then the third circle has to do with actually defining the patient safety and quality. It has a lot to do with the metrics that are already in place and developing new ones and that kind of thing. So those three concentric circles all come together, overlapping, and and that improves healthcare overall. Now, what we're going to what we're conceptualizing at this point for our book is that the the arrow leading from interprofessional practice to our Venn diagram of, uh, of the, the knee-high national education for health informatics is polarity thinking. It's It was the missing link, if you will, of actually making it happen so that the, the, the balance between practice and technology now, I have a tool that we can actually thread through the book to provide to. And there's other tools, let me just say, when you go out and look at polarity thinking, or it's also called integrative thinking. There are, you know, uh, maybe six or seven other ways of thinking of seeing, holding two sides of a concept in your mind at one time and dealing with it. Okay. But polarity thinking is the one that allows us to have those tools that feed very well into, into our way of um, informatics wise being linear and addressing the problem. So that's how we're kind of uh, the conceptualizing the upcoming book. And of course, uh, chapter five is one where it's going to lay out that, but there'll be themes throughout that, the book for integrative thinking and polarity thinking. A lot of what Mary and I have done with our publications is we really want them action oriented. And so our, our first and second edition of our, our advanced nursing, uh, informatics textbook focused on a lot of tools. And so how can we give the industry tools that will help address optimization of technology to improve patient safety and quality and outcomes? So what I really love about the polarity model is the fact that it's yet another powerful tool that we can give the industry to address how can we optimize technology to improve care delivery? And so it fits very well with um, Mary's and our approach publication and um, 
And I'm going to add one more thing. Yeah. It's kind of sandwiching along what I started the discussion. Susan took it a little further. And here's the other part that we noticed. And even before we brought in polarity thinking, but we added it to the model. It's trust, respect, and communication. Okay, that is what we've added to the model here because of, first of all, interprofessional practices needs that. You've got to trust each other. You've got to respect each other. And you've got to communicate appropriately. But that's also what you learn with polarity thinking, matching up almost exactly. So that was the other part that there was a good match for us on that one. Susan? You know, and I would just say that we've all worked in those teams, whether it's the clinical setting or I frankly like to use uh, sports analogies, <laughs> having been an, uh, an old softball player in my, in my day. And then subsequently, I was in the OR with cardiac teams. And, you know, it just when you have a team that works effectively with one another, it just you, you can just work so smoothly, much like Tracy, Michelle, Mary and I. <laughs> You know, you know it when you've got a good, solid team and you respect each other. There's dignity present, you know, so it just we've got to have that in healthcare. And, yeah, we can op we can attempt to optimize technology. But until we've got a full team on the field working to improve technology on behalf of clinical and on, on behalf of the health of the nation and our and our patients in uh, the acute care and, and ambulatory setting, we're not going to get there. And so, um, you know, our a lot of the efforts that we do, whether it's in research or it's very or publication, it's very applied. And we want tools that are actionable to improve what we're doing and how we're doing it. So um, we really appreciate the work that you, uh, Michelle and Tracy, are doing to bring polarity thinking um, to uh, what we're what we're doing in our textbook. So one yet one more tool. <laughs> so I just I really appreciate that. I think you know, um, of course, it, I'm just thrilled to to be a part of it, especially because you know the interprofessional piece is so near and dear to my heart and Michelle's heart as well. Like you know, it's what brought us together. It's what we've lived clinically for many many years. It's what we promoted when we were working with organizations to implement the electronic health record and you know and leverage evidence based tools and work collaboratively in the care of the patients. But I think you know to your point with the trust, respect, and communication. You know, that's what opens us up to be able to understand this is a polarity, to hear all voices, to acknowledge, to acknowledge and respect the perspectives, the different, you know, perspectives from a technology platform perspective and the practice platform perspective. And it reduces that resistance and just opens us up uh, to honor what is important about both. Right. So one of the things that. You talked about was your toolkit, and also we validated how important it is to have tools that move people into action. So share with us a little bit more about what's in your toolkit and maybe a couple highlights that have really helped people. All right. Well, so one thing that we did, uh, and you heard it in the nurses speaking that we shared with you, that there are regulatory and licensure implications where nurses are making ethical decisions uh, when confronted with technology. And so we actually tapped some of our bioethicists nationally, and one of them is um, Liz Stokes at the ANA, um, Kathy Robineau, uh, who is also here in Texas, and Eileen Weber um, out of the University of Minnesota. And so we came together and actually uh, really 
did a deep dive into how can we address these ethical, bioethical concerns that we're beginning to see surface uh, that may have regulatory and licensure issues. And these uh, wonderful bioethicists suggested that the way they like to publish and communicate ethical challenges uh, and ethical decision making is through case studies. And so we um, not only did a publication um, in the online jur journal of nursing um, issues, but we also did a case study that would amplify some of the situations that nurses are experiencing. And so in this, I'll tell you a little bit about the case study. Um, and ANA was wonderful in actually putting it out there with a barcode on it that you can scan and it takes you right to this publication that helps you uh, put it in the framework of ethical decision making and a four component model. And so um, the story in, that's shared in this case study is actually how technology works uh, when it works well for you or when it is a barrier. And so in this case, um, it is a sepsis case where uh, clinical decision support triggers all the right things in terms of this looks like sepsis. And so there's a predictive analytics component where the clinical decision support triggers uh, the clinical team in the emergency room um, to, to diagnose sepsis. And so the nurse looking back in the electronic health record sees historically that this patient has also had heart failure uh, with fluid overload in the past. She suspects that, in fact, that's what's happening and that this is not a sepsis patient. Yet all of the symptoms signs are there. There's a high score on the predictive analytics within the electronic health record. So that technology works exactly as it should have to trigger the right thing at the right time for the right patient to say, hey, this looks like sepsis, trigger the protocol. So one of those protocols is that you uh, give fluid bolus. So for a CHF pay or a heart failure patient, that is not going to be good. For a sepsis patient, that's actually going to be a good protocol to follow. Well, ultimately, um, the physician says they don't, we don't want to fall out on these regulatory requirements and our key performance indicators. So I want you to go ahead and um, start the bolus, but start it slowly. Well, computer provider order entry, the actual um, order is the full protocol, whereas this verbal order was never put into the electronic environment. The patient transitions onto the ICU. Uh, ultimately, the handoff uh, was communicated verbally, but the nurse actually opens up the fluid bol bolus and uh, once the patient arrives at the ICU and the patient deteriorates and gets into fluid overload because, in fact, it is heart failure. So um, these are gray areas that we know happen clinically, and it's a great example of technology working just as it should, but our practice model, we've got to use critical thinking skills because technology, we do have those gray areas with patient care that we know exist. And so, you know, as an example of, of a team working uh, where technology doesn't always uh, work for us. But uh, Mary, anything you want to say about that? <laughs> well, I would just, having been at the Institute for three days, I can identify this as a polarity. It is not necessarily a problem. And if the uh, team that is working on this uh, doesn't address it as a polarity, there could be a lot of finger pointing and a further divide yes. and a lack of progress on this particular complex complex area. So to improve it, I think it calls for a polarity approach to address this. And it's an ex a good example of, we just already said, 
clinical decision support is the main satisfier when it works for the practitioners, but they're complex. And this is an example. And this is why polarity thinking and the, the approach is going to help us so much in that. That's what I'd like to say. About yeah. That. And I, I think CDS, when it is protocol driven, um, uh, which is exactly what's happening with sepsis and, and how positive a result we get when, in fact, it does detect sepsis and we're on top of it, uh, we we save lives. But when it's wrong, uh, we've got to be judicious in this, how we address This would have decision. been an excellent place for trust, respect, and communication because somebody was making an error and it, it usually that's a very bad feeling for the whole team. So it really needed to kick in. And that that's uh, what we get from uh, the learnings of polarity and any kind of integrative thinking. That is such a great example. Again, I, there's so much learning here around um, all the interdependent pairs that exist when you put together interprofessional teams, health information technology, clinical decision support. And we are so excited to work with you on the book and continue to engage with you as partners and a dialogue and other experiences where we can really bring that out to the world and show them not only is it a polarity, but here is how you can actually look at it, think about it, prevent going into the downside of one pole over the other because they're both equally as important. And um, this is why this is so exciting. The other thing, just as a sort of takeaway as we wrap up, is I was thinking, Mary, about how you said, you know, you know, all of us have been around for a while. Tracy and I met in 1986. We implemented electronic health records and multiple organizations across North America, starting in 1998, all the way through the 2000s and the meaningful use is, if anything, we... I hope we've all learned is there are polarities and that's why it hasn't been really easy. And that's why there isn't a single bullet answer to any of this. So looking forward to more exploration with that, with you guys. Yeah. Well, and I think the opportunities to bring that message, right. And we're just really grateful that you've, you have an appreciation for it, right? You've seen how it's shown up in your own work and the research that you did and the work that you're doing as educators. And, you know, I think it's just, that's what we need. We need to spread the word, right? And the whole podcast is about a movement, right? Let's heighten the awareness because we will not achieve sustainable results if we do not address this as the polarity that it is. If people continue to identify these instances as problems, right? Or as just technology is the solution to the problem, then we're going to be in trouble, right? For a very, very long time. And we can't afford that as a nation and we can't afford it as clinicians either, right? So, um, so thank you so much for everything that you're doing and sharing, sharing your awesome work with our listeners. And we're just so privileged to know you and to be on this journey of spreading the word around polarities and when it comes to technology and practice. We're grateful for being here. This is Mary, and we look forward to many future conversations. Yes, lots of fun sharing what we've done. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. If you found our conversation insightful or helpful, please share this episode with others you think might benefit. Also, go out to iTunes and rate the show and share a review because we really like those positive ones. Wink, wink. 
You can access today's show notes and downloads at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you want to learn more about polarities in healthcare or how you might manage them in your organization, you can contact us for a free consultation. Just go to our website at www.missinglogic.com.